Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. It's me, your host, Robin Goble. Today's episode is a part of our Friday Q&A series. I'm not releasing one of these Q&A episodes every Friday. I'm going to aim for a lot of Fridays. So I took a question from a listener and summarized it for y'all like this. Should my child, who has a history of attachment trauma, be only doing family therapy? Should I be in with my child all the time when they're in therapy? Or is it okay for them to do individual therapy? This is a great question, and I read this question a lot in different online parenting forums that I am in, it comes up a lot. And folks have big, strong opinions about this. And the opinions of the therapists and the opinions of the families aren't always the same. So I'll give a quick little spoiler in that the bottom line is, is that there isn't a hard and fast rule about this. It isn't accurate to say that if a child has a history of attachment trauma or attachment disorder or adoption, that they should always be in only family therapy, right? That the therapy should always include their caregivers. That's a assertion I, I read a lot in online forums. And as a therapist who does mostly family work, but not exclusively family work, I will just say that the overall answer here is it is never that simple. It's never that cut and dry. So I'm going to attempt to talk about this in a little bit more of a nuanced way, while also you and I need to have an agreement here that I could not talk about this topic in its totality at all. Like this topic, this episode I'm recording isn't intended to answer definitively, you know, if your child should be an individual or family therapy, but to give you some things to consider. Now, again, I, I hear a lot that kids with attachment trauma should only ever be doing therapy with the caregiver. And a worry about this and a worry about individual therapy is that one, there's just a really high risk of triangulation, you know, that with kids with histories of attachment trauma, there's a lot of risk of the relationships getting really tricky and triangulated. And then there's another concern that the child 
could attach to the therapist instead of the caregiver. Uh, another question that comes up a lot is, is how can attachment be worked on between the child and the caregiver if the caregiver isn't in the room? And indeed, a lot of therapists who are trained in a more attachment-based modality would say something like, it's the relationship that's the client, not the individual child or the individual person. And I I think that that makes a lot of sense, but I think we have to make sure that we'd never turn anything into these like black and white rules. Okay. So let's look at a couple different things. One that kids with attachment trauma in their history or who present with symptoms of attachment disorder meet criteria for what Dr. Bessel van der Kolk describes as complex or developmental trauma. And Dr. van der Kolk has identified these quote-unquote seven domains of impairment in complex trauma. Attachment is just one of them. So when kids with a history of complex trauma, attachment trauma, or attachment disorder come to therapy, attachment certainly might feel like the totality of the problem or or the biggest problem but it it's it's one of many things that are involved in complex or developmental trauma so treating the attachment piece the attachment relationship between the child and the caregiver typically isn't the only piece that needs to be treated. And even if it's determined that treating the attachment experience as opposed to doing trauma work first or working on regulation first, even if it's determined that attachment is the priority or the focus or the thing to be addressed either first or or at this time, sometimes a child needs the safety in their attachment system really titrated. So what does that mean? Attachment to a caregiver is extremely intimate. And for many kids and adults with histories of being hurt inside an attachment relationship, the intimacy now of attachment instantly brings up feelings of fear or danger. So what needs to happen is that uh, in the neurobiology is a uncoupling of the felt sense of safety and connection from the danger, danger circuit. So the connection circuitry and the danger, danger circuitry in a sense have gotten woven together for kids with histories of complex trauma or attachment trauma or kids who meet criteria for attachment disorder. These two pieces are, are that don't necessarily go together have been woven together, the attachment circuitry and the danger, danger circuitry. So neurobiologically speaking, what we would like to allow the opportunity to happen is for those two things to uncouple from each other. Now, experiencing safe connection with a therapist 
could be the level of connection that the child's nervous system can safely tolerate. So in a way, by creating and allowing safety and connection to unfold in between the relationship between a child and their therapist, they are titrating the experience of safe connection for some folks who have experienced significant attachment trauma the intimacy of attachment between the child and the caregiver is so much it's such an intimate experience that it instantly triggers the danger danger reflex i'm talking in metaphors here there's no danger danger reflex but like the fight flight circuitry right the is getting triggered almost instantly upon any felt sense of connection to the caregiver because it's such an intimate relationship. It's supposed to be intimate. How quickly that connection also triggers danger, danger means that the uncoupling can't happen. It is simply happening too quickly and too intensely how connection and danger, danger are getting triggered at the same time. Okay. So it can be very helpful for clients. And here we're really talking about children, but this is is true about adults too, for clients to, in a way, like dip their toe into the felt sense of safety and connection, titrate the intimacy of safety and connection with a therapist that because the intimacy between the child and a therapist is so wildly different than between a child and a parent will ever be that that creates a level of safety that allows the child's nervous system to be just a little bit more willing or a little bit more brave to consider experiencing connection. And because the intimacy is so much lower, it has the potential to allow for that uncoupling, the uncoupling of safety and connection from danger, danger. And then as this uncoupling unfolds slowly over time in the relationship between the child and the therapist, it may indeed begin to be more appropriate to start to bring the child's caregivers into the therapy experience and then start to work on the child experiencing the connection with their caregiver in a way that could also feel safe. Now, while it is possible that there may look like there's a time period where the child is kind of quote unquote attaching to the therapist, a really well-trained therapist will see this as part of the process. It's not the end. It's like passing through Dallas on the way to Austin, right? If you've started in Oklahoma, it's just a place you pass through this kind of stage where it looks like the child is attaching to the therapist more than the parents. There is some risk with a therapist who isn't as well-trained in the nuances of trauma therapy and attachment. 
that this stage could definitely get a little bit messy. So it's important to screen your therapist really well. A child developing a safe, positive, connected relationship with a therapist really shouldn't become a threat to the parent-child attachment, not the least of which is because therapists aren't responsible for all of the basic like day-in, day-out survival care of this child. And those pieces of care are really integral in the creation of attachment. Now, the other thing that we can talk about here is that there are some aspects of therapy with kids, even kids with attachment trauma, where those kids need and deserve some confidentiality. It, it absolutely could be hard for kids to fully engage in, for example, like intense trauma processing with their caregiver present. Other kids might absolutely need and want their caregiver present while they're doing some trauma processing. And it's easy to make judgments. Like I've heard people say like, well, if their attachment to their caregiver was solid, then their caregiver would serve as a, you know, good secure base um, for the child to do trauma processing. And I really, my experience is that it is not that cut and dry. I have known many kids who have good, secure attachment to their parents that still need confidentiality and privacy to fully explore and process the depths of their trauma. So we really want to be careful about making big blanket statements here. Now, I do think we need to talk super briefly about the reality that not all parents are emotionally safe enough for their kids to be present in therapy. Some parents have really vulnerable nervous systems themselves. Some parents have significant histories of insecure and disorganized attachment. And some parents are experiencing what Dan Hughes calls blocked care. Now, these aren't bad parents, not at all. What they are are parents who need their own support, and that should happen separate from their child's therapy. This child deserves a therapeutic space where a therapist can stay primarily focused on and co-regulating them, not their parent, which again is not criticism of their parents, but when parents need their own support and can't be present in the therapeutic space in a way that is bringing safety and connection to their kids, then it makes sense to do therapy individually or separately with kids and with parents. And then again, maybe later we bring them back together. What you're hearing me say is that there is no hard and fast rule. The the treatment planning decisions are related to a wide variety of things, the goals, the stage of treatment, the child's age, and how slow the child needs to have safety and connection titrated. A very good therapist can create confidentiality and safety and, yes, even intimacy. That's an important part of the therapeutic experience with a child client without compromising the attachment relationship between the child and the parent. And yes, many times it is very appropriate and working towards the therapeutic goals 
for the therapist to be doing family therapy, therapy with the child and the parent together. It's just that there's no hard or fast rules. And these are part of therapeutic decisions and treatment planning that the therapist and you can be making together. So this, of course, brings a new question up, which is how do we screen for a therapist? How do we, how do you as a parent know that you are trusting your child with a therapist who is well-trained in trauma and attachment? That's a totally different episode. We'll tackle that later. For now, what I want you to do is have a conversation with your child's therapist about their treatment plan. Like, why are they choosing individual therapy or why are they choosing therapy with the parents present and involved? They should have an idea about why. When I was doing therapy, sometimes after my initial assessment of the family, I started off with parents only. And sometimes after my initial assessment, I started off with kids only. And sometimes I started off with families together. And then I would transition later to doing work with a child only. Sometimes I started with a child only and then later transitioned to working with the family. Sometimes I started off working with the family and always worked with the family. It really, really depends. And... There is a lot of information that should be going into that therapeutic decision. So what I want you to take away from this episode is exactly that. It really depends. There's no hard and fast rule. And as a parent, I want to encourage you to have this conversation with the therapist about their treatment planning decision and about why. And then you as the parent absolutely should feel empowered to ask as many questions as you need to ask until that decision makes sense. Okay, so I know this is a big, complicated topic, and I addressed it in less than 20 minutes. Of course, I've not dressed, like I said, I've not dressed all of the complex nuances here, but I hope this gives you just a little bit more information about how to connect with your child's therapist about this question, individual therapy versus family therapy. All right, y'all. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day today, and I will connect with you again next week back here on the podcast. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief, like, Yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. 
We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, eBooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.